0: You know, one of my favorite summers of all time was 8th grade summer. I think that was before 8th grade. Um, my friends and I felt pretty brave to get around. And uh, we used to go to Hate Street a lot and go to the, the Pro-Am games at Keysar.
1: That was Josh Chuck co-director and producer of the documentary Chinatown Rising. I'm Jeff. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories, and you get to know your neighbors. In this podcast, Josh takes us back several generations to tell of various ancestors and the journeys that led them to Chinatown. He talks about his parents, who met at Chinatown's Cameron House, where his dad worked. Then Josh takes us through Chinatown and around San Francisco, when he and his teenage friends used to get around town. He ends part one with his time at UC Davis, which was where he started getting into filmmaking. Here's Josh.
0: My father's grandmother came to the U.S. from China and was um, actually sold into slavery uh, and possibly... Prostitution. uh, We don't really know, but um, that was not an uncommon thing. There wasn't a lot of Chinese women here. And because of that, that was an industry. And so um, on the way, she got uh, intercepted and I guess rescued by Presbyterian uh, missionaries right here at Cameron House. Oh, wow. Yeah. So on
1: on the way, meaning.
0: When she got here, when she got here. Like, landed and they're. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, we have a long history here in Chinatown and here at Cameron House. Um, my dad's father came over from China, and he has an interesting story. Um, he ran a gambling house here in Chinatown. Um, also not uncommon. Uh, maybe to run it, but gambling houses themselves. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Very. Those were common, and... Um, a few pictures we have of him he's wearing like a three-piece suit yeah. it's very cool right. um, and he has my dad in the three-piece suit when he's like four years old yes um so my dad's mother was born here and spoke english and uh used to tell him a lot of stories about the old chinatown and so he was born in 1935 so she would talk about things that happened in the early 1900s that fascinated him. Right. Um, then my mother, uh, her parents. My mother's story, so this is one I have not interviewed her about, but I have to.
1: Okay. Um, so preview now on Story yeah San Francisco. Yeah, yeah really. Her,
0: <laughs> her uh, grandfather was a guy named Tong Bong, and he's well-known in Chinatown as one of the... Um, Merchants who helped save Chinatown after the earthquake. Okay. So in 1906, Chinatown burned to the ground, mm-hmm. um, and the city wanted to relocate Chinatown because it was such a prime location. Mm-hmm. They wanted to move Chinatown out to the what's now like the Bayview. Okay. So that what what some of the merchants here did was they collected money from China and Hong Kong from investors and they built up chinatown as fast as they could Hmm. and they built it in a way that would be attractive for uh white people okay so it became like a chinese fairyland Hmm. almost so a lot of the architecture you see in chinatown that was not how china was right that's how americans saw china as
1: and it also wasn't like chinatown was before the earthquake or was
0: it? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It was not ornate. It was not super so, so-called oriental or whatever. Yeah. Um, so Tong Bong, uh, the building is still there. That he, uh, where his store was, it's on California and Grant. That's your grandfather. Uh, my, my great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. Um, so he owned a store there. And he had a, it was called Sing Fat. And they, it was an import-export store. Mm-hmm. And he had a branch in LA and possibly New York. Um, so, successful family on that side. And my mom's parents were both uh, doctors okay. here in Chinatown. And uh, my grandmother was one of the, the only... Um, what kind of doctor is that called? That, well, they deliver the babies.
1: <laughs> I should oh. know this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have pre-daddy brain. Um, no, I know what you're talking about. But her yeah. name... Yeah. So, her
0: name was Helen... And she delivered many of the babies here in Chinatown. And so actually, there's a whole generation of women uh, from Chinatown who are also named Helen. Because awesome. people didn't know of American names. Right. So they asked the doctor, well, what's your name? And so there's a lot of women named Helen. Like, do you have any idea of like, the span
1: of that generation? Uh,
0: I don't know. That's why I need to do more research on my mom's Fine. side. That's, um, that's a really cool. So uh, my, my mom and dad, they met here at Cameron House. Oh. Um, she was, she's almost 10 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. So he was working here and she was like a, a college leader mm-hmm. here and they ended up getting married. And um, what year would that have been? Oh man, you're going <laughs> to give me that. Uh, <laughs> I
1: don't know. Or de- uh, Decade. 60s-ish? In the 60s. 60s, yeah. let's say 60s, okay. Yeah. Um, and maybe for folks who aren't familiar, can you tell us what Cameron House is?
0: Sure, Cameron House is, right now it's a non-profit organization in Chinatown that uh, does mostly youth programs and immigrant family services, like counseling, um, case management, things like that. Um, Cameron House started in 1874 as a um, a place where Presbyterian missionary women had the idea to help Chinese girls and women who were being forced into prostitution or slavery. Right. Um, so the women were white women, and they felt like their faith told them that they needed to help the people down the street. Mm. Um, and so this became a place where they would physically rescue the women, or the women would hear about this place and run up here, and they were able to live here. Learn skills, uh, get matched up with husbands, um, equipped with what they needed to live a healthy life. Right. Uh, it's it's quite a legacy when you think about women's stature back then, even white women. Right. To be able to to go up against brothel owners, against police, against whoever, and protect these girls. So there's mm-hmm.
1: quite a legacy here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, not just if I can. Um, Editorialize real fast like brothel owners and cops and probably a city government that was very corrupt and very racist that's right so yeah so it's pretty astounding what they were able
0: to do hundreds and hundreds of women were rescued and um what that when that became a little bit less of an issue in the community and families started moving into Chinatown you know in the 30s 40s um the services here changed, so they became more uh, family-oriented and youth programs. So that the so-called golden age of the youth programs at Cameron House was probably in the 60s, 70s, okay. where every day hundreds, hundreds of youth would come here and gather. And um, there's a faith aspect to this place. You know, it's a Christian faith-based, and so um, a lot of people credit their their values, their faith
1: to growing up here okay wow when your parents met um, was your dad already is he is he a, is he considered a minister yeah he's was a Presbyterian he, minister was he already doing that or yes okay yeah do you know what got what brought him or guided him into doing that I've asked him that a lot he he
0: he attributes it to role models yeah. um, growing up here at Cameron house he saw people doing good work for other people and the common denominator was it was their faith right and uh, he had a couple close friends who went to seminary Um, he didn't start out in seminary he went to college he became like he was teaching science at one point Um, but always kept connected to Cameron House and uh, I think he decided to just try out seminary and uh, ended up Going the full way and uh,
1: becoming a minister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I guess I jumped forward, but it's okay. Is there anything else, um, background wise, that that you feel like going into before we get to little Josh Chuck? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I you know I grew up in Chinatown, but I. It's funny. I'll um, depending on who I'm with is how much I emphasize this kind of thing, right? So okay. if I'm with uh, people who are not from San Francisco or from San Francisco but have not spent a lot of time in Chinatown, let's say, then I'll just be like, yeah, I'm proud. I'm from Chinatown. That's me, you know? Okay. <laughs> but, but if I hang out with my friends from here or who know me and know my background or whatever, it's different because I'm like, uh, I'm an ABC, you know? I'm American-born Chinese. Mm-hmm. I don't speak Chinese. Mm-hmm. I grew up going to a private school. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't have what you would call like necessarily like Chinatown street cred <laughs> growing up. So, right. um, so that's my disclaimer. Is I have. Uh, I guess it's just uh, everyone has their own background and the neighbor, with the neighborhood they live in. Um, but I um, I feel like I've been here so long. My whole life, pretty much, that I feel, I feel connected and I have an
1: idea of what's going on a little bit. Right. And you said you did grow up in Chinatown. Yeah, I grew up in Chinatown. Where about did you guys live?
0: Because my dad worked here as one of the leadership folks, uh, we lived in Cameron House. Oh, okay. Cameron House has apartments upstairs mm-hmm. and uh, four different pastors lived here at the same time. And so our family grew up here. Uh, I eventually moved, well, my mom moved to Washington Washington and Powell. Okay. Kind of close to the rec center. Mm-hmm. And so then when she moved out, and I'd, I would split time. My brother and my sister and I, we would spend most of the weekdays at
1: my mom's. And on the weekends, we'd come uh, to my dad's. Okay. So two siblings. Mm-hmm. Where do you fit in Uh like age-wise, I'm the youngest. Okay. Yeah, you're the baby.
0: Yeah, my dad likes to remind me how much of a surprise I was.
1: <laughs> okay. So, um, so tell us about Chinatown in the '80s through the yeah. eyes of a kid.
0: Again, uh, yeah, this is a kid who, yeah, didn't go to school in the neighborhood necessarily. Um, Do you want to shout out to
1: where you did go to school? You don't have to.
0: I went to Cathedral School for Boys. Okay. It's in, it's in Knob Hill. There's like 20 kids per class. Oh, wow. And um, that was like first through eighth grade. Right. Great school. I had a good, really good experience. Mm. I don't know if everyone did, but mm. I did. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up in Chinatown, I was just, uh, I didn't think about it it that much that it was Chinatown. It was just where I lived and um, I spent a lot of my time uh, at the rec center playing basketball, um, at the arcades playing video games. When I felt brave, I would go over to Broadway Street and just like walk around
1: and see all that
0: stuff that's going on. All the riffraff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you
1: you guys had arcades down here in Chinatown? I don't know of any now. I mean, there aren't any really any... <laughs> anywhere the video,
0: the arcades i used to go to one was was it, was it was in an arcade there was three games there at this corner store on um c- at cable car corner that's like Powell and uh Washington right mm-hmm. there
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then there was one called bonkers it was um down on kearney not quite Chinatown but right outside Chinatown mm-hmm. and then there was the one on Broadway which was later i figured out how sketchy it was
1: (laughs) but as a kid i had no idea fearless kids are at least back in our day we were fearless yeah
0: yeah nothing could get between me and my video games right
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i guess um like you're saying like you you spent so much time in chinatown that it didn't it wasn't like a thing um was leaving chinatown kind of a special thing like how much did you get around the city as a kid I'm talking pre, like... Yeah, yeah, like... You know, or like before you, maybe teens, did you get around town?
0: Yeah, so my closest friends were from Cameron House, from the programs here. There was a Friday night program that starts in sixth grade. And uh, that's when I started to really get around town, just take the bus everywhere. Um, you know, one of my favorite summers of all time was eighth grade summer summer. I think that was before eighth grade mm-hmm. um my friends and i felt pretty brave to get around and uh we used to go to hate street a lot and go to the the pro-am games at Keysar. Mm-hmm. and this was like oh my god i don't do you follow basketball a little bit okay um so there. are the key at, keys are they have th- forever they've had these free pro-am games um, during the summer and pro-am just means anyone p- plays people f- they, they form these teams and one of these teams we would make sure we caught every week and my friends and I would go it starts at 8 o'clock we'd go out there take the bus and this team had guys like Jason, a high school Jason Kidd NBA players like Gary Payton Antonio Davis uh, Brian Shaw all on one team like, most of these teams have no NBA players. Right. And this team had all of these guys, and um, it would always be packed. Yeah. It was, so we'd, we'd go there, we'd, we'd hang out, and then the game would end at, like, 9.30 or 10. We'd always try to get their autograph every time for some reason. Um, well, and, you knew it was special. You knew these guys yeah.
1: were special, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and it was just such a special time. And then after that, we would go hang out at this place called Park Bowl. Which is a bowling alley where Amoeba Records is now. Right. So Park Bowl is like a... It was a bowling alley in the hate, right? Yeah. It's pretty neat. And um, one of our friend's parents worked there. And so we'd hang out until after it closed. Sweet. And again, play video games, bowl. Yes.
1: Do all that. And uh, thinking about that now, I'm like, damn. Yeah, you got to (laughs) sneak in without sneaking. It was like... It was... um, it was like parent approved. I wonder if kids That's do that now. Go out like that. I mean, if you're, if they're lucky. Yeah. It probably all goes back to the parents, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we felt pretty, and being the youngest, and my
0: parents were so busy. My mom was an English teacher. Uh, my dad was working at Cameron House, and he was on city commissions and all this kind of thing. Um, I had a ton of freedom, and that was perfect for me. And uh, I just went around with my friends
1: and we had nothing else to do right just ran around yeah loved it without a care in the world yeah Yeah. okay awesome um so do you want to take us through now maybe your like your teen and and or like did you did you go to college did you leave to go to college Mm -hmm. that kind of thing
0: yeah so like I went to Lowell High School which was like perfect for me coming from all boys tiny private school to go to Lowell was like everything i wanted mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh i also spent a lot of time at camera house in the youth programs i volunteer in the summers um and i ended up going to uc davis now like just, this is an aside but i've talked to kids lately and they were telling me to get to uc davis you have to have like a 4.1 gpa Right, but not back in the day. No, yeah, back in the day, I think I had a three point five, maybe at the mm-hmm. best, and mm-hmm. and it was just the SAT, and it, and the prices were totally reasonable, and yep. man, kids, ugh, it's hard for kids these days. I think. Yeah, um, but I went to UC Davis, and I um, I studied uh, community and regional development.
1: Okay, they call it.
0: Um, I studied that because I, I took some intro courses, and the books they read were incredible. I mean, like... Like, do you remember like any... People's History of the United States was one of the first books I read Howard in those classes. Zen. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and just, like, books about community and books about, uh, like, social issues and things like that. And so I actually enjoyed reading all those things, and so I said, yeah, this is my major, and um, I don't know what I'm going to do with it or whatever, but right. I don't... I had the luxury to not worry about that too much, I guess. Right. And uh, senior year, I had a group of friends that I had been hanging out with the whole time, and we were roommates. And um, we discovered that we all had this love of movies. And uh, I found out that some of these guys actually had videotapes from like high school or before high school of themselves like messing around trying to make movies. And I thought, like, hey guess what I got (laughs) I got that too and so we kind of like just had this love of films and TV and everything so uh, when we were fourth year I decided to buy a computer and a a camera okay is this late 90s early 2000s this is uh, about 2000 around 2000 yeah and so um, this was the very beginning of like digital films so like Mini DV tapes. Uh, we used Final Cut Pro 1.0. Wow! And um, that's old school. It crashed <laughs> of course. all the time. Of course. It took two days to render things, mm-hmm. but it was such an advance. Exactly. It was amazing. So light years. At the time. So uh, our friend, uh, our friend Evan was in UCLA at the time, and he wanted to get into film as also. And he worked at the computer lab. So he got us the software. He taught me how to use Final Cut Pro in like half an hour. And then I showed my roommate how to use it in like half an hour. We, My roommate and I took classes at the local public access TV station. In Davis? In Davis, okay. yeah. And they were not using digital. Right, right. <laughs> they were using huge VHS cameras, tape-to-tape editing, wow.
1: stuff like that. It was... So you were already Pretty like Pretty classic More advanced than they were
0: Yeah and they told us We had to take all these classes If we wanted to air a show
1: Okay So we decided On public access Yeah
0: so okay. we decided We would air a show
1: Were you already I might be getting ahead But were you already thinking um, doc, Like documentary style Or were you thinking Like you know, feature film or shorts Like fiction or Did you have an oh, idea Oh no
0: We were not thinking any of that You weren't thinking any <laughs> of We were
1: thinking <laughs> of like Hey let's make something That's going to make our friends crack
0: up Okay Okay, and that's it. Right. So we we, would, uh, we started making this show and we called it Devisión. So it's kind of like Day Vision, but with like an accent on the end. And um, basically, each of us would have ideas on what we want to do, and then we would take charge of that segment. And our friends had to help. That was the rule. Like if someone's gonna direct and produce a thing, you just gotta do whatever they ask you.
1: Your friends in this little group. In this little group, like yeah, a little yeah. collective,
0: kind of, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then we would show it. It doesn't cost anything. There's almost no limit to what you can show on public access. And at that time, there was nothing showing on that station. Right. It would be like announcements all day long. Right. So we thought it was a nice opportunity to get like make something and have some people watch and like see ourselves on TV. Does Davis have a
1: film school? Were, you,
0: were any of you guys film majors? Nobody was a film major. Um, I don't
1: or like, I honestly honestly like broadcasting don't know if, or communicating oh, I guess they do that? have that. Do they? Well,
0: I I, I, yeah, they have communications. I okay. am like, I'm, I'm sure they have like some focus on on that kind of thing, but yeah. none of us none of us got were're doing that. You guys like just staff. wanted to do it. We just wanted to do it. Awesome. It turned out um, I, used, I would end up spending like 40 to 50 hours a week on this TV show. Wow. Um, I, f- I would walk into my classes and just be like, oh crap. A paper's due today? Right. Like, I had no idea. I was not... I was so into it, and I had so much fun. And um, that's kind of how we got started. Now that my roommate, his name's Greg Louie, he ended up being a professional editor. Um, He works in L.A., uh, different TV stations and stuff like that. And he became the editor for Chinatown Rising. Okay. Um, Our other friend in L.A., his name's Evan Leong, he... uh, He's a director and he directed some films that got into Sundance and things like that. And he he was in a really key advisor for Chinatown Rising. Mm -hmm. And then our other best friend, he was in the Navy when we were in college. He had his own TV show on his ship. Oh my (laughs) god, what are the
1: chances?
0: So did he know
1: about y'all back then? Oh yeah. So
0: we all taught each other. We all kind of taught each other and just got had so much fun making something, working on it. And then showing our friends, Right. like showing each other. Right. He had a lot of restrictions on the ship, though they couldn't do a lot. And uh, but uh, it was fun. It was so much fun. And so that's Anson Ho, who became who's who also does film work, and he's um, he was our director of photography. So he basically shot all our footage for okay. Chinatown Rising. So ton of fun to working
1: with friends. And this is like roughly like twenty-ish years ago. Although you guys probably started,
0: it was about it was about twenty years ago when we yeah. first started doing all this like fun stuff.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's quite a college career and very like, at least I. Anyway, fill in between <laughs> after college and yeah. when you started working on the movie.
0: Yeah, I've just saw. Um, it's been a mix of things for me. I've never had a full time job. More than like three years, and that was only a couple stints. I've been doing freelance uh, video work. It turns out, I guess my niche is like doing nonprofit storytelling. I've worked in nonprofit a lot, and I know a lot of folks there, so I kind of understand what their how important their work is, and and how they need to get it out there mm-hmm. about what they do. And so, so that's what I've been doing. Um, I also do. Um, a thing called the Community Internship Program, mm-hmm. which is like a community immersion program, and that's for uh, the company UPS. Mm-hmm. It's just like one-of-a-kind program, I think, that no other company does, where they send upper managers from the, all over the world in their company to San Francisco for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And during that three weeks, it's uh, there to be like immersed in the community, volunteering, trying to figure out like what the issues are, right. so that when they go back as as the leaders of the company, That they can really instill this culture of service, of community in in the company.
1: That is really cool.
0: It's very very cool. I've been doing that for 15 years now. Okay. I I take two groups a year, Um, so that's another one uh, another gig I do. Mm -hmm. I traveled a lot um, after college. Like uh, I really enjoyed just going around with no set agenda and exploring the world and. Ended up mostly going to Asia, mm-hmm. just because I think uh, it's the most fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can afford the most, and right. it's got everything. So where uh, all did you go? Um, I I started like traveling around Southeast Asia quite a bit, and then got to visit you know China for a month, and Japan for three weeks, and Korea and India. I got to I got to explore, you know, and. I tried to tell myself that I might not get this chance ever again, and it was so, so great to explore on my own a lot, too. Right, right. Yeah, I learned a lot.
1: That was Josh Chuck. Join us Thursday for part two, when Josh will talk about his documentary, Chinatown Rising. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis MacDonald. Photography for this episode is by me, Jeff Hunt. I also host and produce the show. Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can browse more than 100 episodes, check out all of our live events, and visit our store to help support us. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening. If that's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do us a quick favor and rate and review what we do. And if you have any feedback for us or suggested guests, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and stay healthy.